never did actually fix that mic here. It uh, there's a piece that fell down here, and I don't know where it went. No, it's another piece. Illumination leads to salvation. My focus is the Word of God. We're going to be looking at different, we're going to have some different sermons, but they're all going to lead to one particular area, and that is the importance of God's Word. Why we should be reading it, why should we should be letting it into our heart and our life. I believe that you guys already know that. But sometimes there's something that God gives us as an inspiration to go further with that. And so I want to do my very best, as the Lord gives me the blessing to do so, is to uh, do this with inspiration this morning. The presence of God is here. The Lord is with us. Father, I want to thank you right now for your presence always. Lord, we need you. Jesus I'm not just saying that, Lord. I'm saying with all my heart, we need you. We need you to reveal your will and your heart to us, God, as we live and breathe every day of our life. We want you to illuminate our path and our understanding in our lives so that we know exactly where it is that you want us to go, Lord. And the God, that you would also illuminate the beauty of who you are and the wonder of who you are to us the majesty of the God that we praise, Lord. And so many times, as much as we don't want it to be so, but the reality in so many ways is that we have lifted praise to you, Lord, with the best that we knew how. But when invited into your presence, God, when given an opportunity to be in your glory, it redefines everything that we know about you. It redefines it all. And because, God, of that, we know that we need the glory of God to help us worship you in fullness. Jesus, you said, the Father seeks to those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so, Lord, we want your praise turned up. God, we want your praise turned up higher than any other voice or any other thing going on or any other event happening. So, Lord, turn up your praise within our hearts. Lift us, God, to know, Lord, how glorious you really are in every way that we can't stop worshiping, we can't stop praying. Lord, there's just this sense of once we've gotten there, Lord, we just don't want to leave. And I pray, God, that you will inspire our hearts today and draw us close to you, Lord. And anything, God, that gets in the way of your perfect will for our life, will you deal with it now? That we don't have to live another day, another moment, another minute with anything Jesus perverting or distorting or keeping us from the beauty of our Savior and our God. And we ask you to do this in Jesus' name and have your way. Amen. Amen. My wife was supposed to bring some. Where is she at anyway? What? I don't know if she brought it or not. Well, she was supposed to bring a big flashlight. I'll probably forget it anyway, but... <laughs> I'm just as I'm thinking about it, I better remember now if I'm going to have any chance at it. So if, yeah, if she knows, she, she may have forgotten, and that's all right either way. So if you'll uh, look in, in Acts chapter 8, what a phenomenal story. What an awesome story that we read here. It's, I am grateful that God gave us the blessing of having this penned 
in, and written in this book so that we could read this. This is so important because if you want to know how somebody gets saved, if you want to know how somebody gets set on the path of heaven, this is it right here. What I try and look for when I'm reading and preparing for to share this story in sermon with you, I try and look for the things that in a sense are hidden behind what's said. What's probably happening and cultivating in the spirit and in the heart of both of these men involved. And so we have two men involved. We have Philip, the evangelist, and we have the Ethiopian eunuch. And we don't know a whole lot about him. It gives a little bit of description. And it's interesting the things and the details that God chooses to leave out, but the ones that he puts in there for us. And so... This story just goes from verses 26 through verse 40. I'm going to read that as I usually do because I want you guys to have the context of it as I'm sharing this, that you'll remember hopefully some of these verses as we do. So chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, an Ethiopian, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. And he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to, to him. And heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down to the road, They came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. And Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now something unique about Philip is that he was already preaching the gospel, and there was this interruption. And the interruption started with the angel of the Lord in verse 26. It says, Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road, which goes down to Jerusalem, to Gaza. This is the the desert. So the angel of the Lord interrupted his course and wherever he was preaching. And I'm sure that 
no matter what he was going to do, the one focus was going to remain consistent, and that was he was going to continue to preach the gospel. And he was going to preach Jesus Christ to those who had heard and to those who hadn't heard. Probably mostly to those who hadn't heard. This story is really unique. And what I find here as I'm reading this, this is one of those things I'm catching in this, that there's a hiddenness to God. And then there's a revelation of God to the eunuch. What we don't understand, we don't know all the details here, is what is God doing and what is happening in the eunuch himself. So what we know is this. We read the story just like it would be any other story, and that is the eunuch is just sitting in his uh, vehicle, and he's going down the road, and he's reading in Isaiah. But we don't know how exactly he's being inspired, what part of this that if Philip is like, I just feel like doing this, or what God is doing. But we assume that God is doing a huge part of this, but we see this this uniqueness between what God is doing and what the eunuch is doing and what God is doing and what Philip is doing. And so God is making sure that Philip doesn't miss his appointment. We ask for those divine appointments, right? And how many of us get a divine appointment where the the angel of the Lord says you need to go? But let me tell you this, if an angel of the Lord says you need to go, you don't want to miss that one. You don't want to stand before God with that mark on your life having to deal with why you missed an appointment that He gave you express command to do so. A lot of us, we're not sure if, whether it's the voice of our own heart or we're 100% sure whether it's God. And there's times where God's speaking in the, just the inner part of your being and you, you sense that and you know it. But this was the way so that Philip would never miss this. So this was my thought here as I was reading that. The Word of God is a bridge between the hiddenness of God and the revelation of God. When you see this, you see that it's the Word of God is beginning to open the way for the eunuch to know God as He really is. It's unique because what we're not getting, we're not seeing it said, but what is the inner transformation that's happening inside of this eunuch as he's turning toward the Lord? What is happening? Well, we know what the Bible says, and it says to us, that old things pass away and all things become new. We know that there's this regeneration and this new not life that comes in where the Spirit of God is coming into the individual. And all we know is that he's now, uh, his expression is in an attitude of, I see water, now what hinders me from being baptized? Now, most of us as preachers, we, we step back when somebody says they want to be baptized because we're asking ourselves the question. <clears throat> Have they met the minimalization of what baptism is? And baptism is simply a, a, a sacrament that we do that shows what's already been done. There's a new life that's come inside of me. The old man has passed away and now I've become completely new. And so there's something really unique happening inside of the eunuch's heart as this transformation is taking place. It seems very quick, and yet at the same time, very powerful. Very powerful. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 9, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, oh, I want to say this before I get to that. The Word of God is revelation to an open heart. It's a revelation to an open heart. See, there's a reason why many of us at times don't get the revelation of God's Word. It's because it hasn't come to an open heart. 
So again, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. <clears throat> Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works forty years. It says, if you'll hear His voice, if you'll get the revelation that God has for you, do not harden your heart. Open your heart to God. My invitation to you this morning was simply, remember. Remember the testimonies God's given you and re-thank Him for it. Re-worship Him over the faithfulness of God that's sparing you and holding you and keeping you up to this point in your life. Just be thankful for what He's done. Don't let your heart become hardened through circumstances. As a matter of fact, I want to say, if there's anybody in this place going through a severe or difficult trial, I want you all the more to recall the faithfulness of God right now. I want you to take every extreme you can to make sure that you remember what He's done for you because that will carry you. God will use that to carry you through what you're going through right now. <clears throat> he never does anything as a testimony to leave it after it's past. He means for it to continue to produce its fruitfulness in your heart up till this point. <clears throat> so what keeps our heart closed? So these things I think is important for us to consider. Is what is it that opens it? What keeps it closed? And there's going to be a few P's here for you. One is pride. And, and the way I would say this is that I want to believe what I want to believe. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm willing to surrender if I know I'm wrong. It just means I want to make sure that my rights are intact when it comes to my beliefs. And pride filters into so many areas of our life, but that's one of the biggest ones. <coughs> James 4.6 Pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16.8 <coughs> But he gives more grace, therefore he says... Now that's interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. Proverbs 16.8 Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And then James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And lastly, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23. A man's pride will bring him low but the humble in spirit will retain honor. So pride will close your heart. <clears throat> Sometimes the biggest thing is the challenge that somebody is calling you on something or God is calling you on something and you're not ready to surrender or yield to that. That pride will keep your heart closed. The fear of something may actually have a pride attached to it. And sometimes we don't see the pride because of the fear. But despite that, it will still close our hearts. The other P that comes along with what closes our heart is perception. Now this can go be good and bad. <clears throat> but our perception can be more the focus of, I feel that I am entitled to seeing things my way, not as someone else tells me I should. So oftentimes when presented with the Gospel or the Word of God, this idea of perception, I feel and have seen it a certain way, I believe it to be a certain way, and then the challenge comes where God is trying to show us 
that our perception is not based on His reality, the what we need to see from His perspective. Another is prejudice. My judgments against or for someone cannot be infringed on by another, and I refuse to release that right to someone else over me. See, our prejudices are developed, and in, in this I could say our judgments. And how many of us in our life have somebody that we can say is a difficult person? I wonder how you look at that difficult person today. I wonder how you think of them when you think of how they play their role in your life. And usually difficult people, as we consider them to be that way, are somebody who has at least a, a closer relationship with us that when they say something or they do something, it affects the way we feel and the way we feel about them. And as a result of that, we consider them to be a hard person. I wonder if they're a hard person because you choose to perceive them that way. You know, there's oftentimes a twist that we can have when we see things, and one of them is simply this, that sometimes an antagonist or a difficult person is that I can recommend the grace of God in a special way into my life because as I face that circumstance or that person, I want to have the gospel outlet or outlook upon them. And I want to consider them precious and near and dear to my heart. <clears throat> And I'm not sure exactly why. Sometimes we can say that. I'm not exactly sure why. But some of our greatest testimonies have formed around people that were hard. When I was in, in uh, Bible school, I found a couple situations like that. And you don't get around you know, young 20-year-old men, even in Bible school, and not find somebody who rubs you raw. And uh, <clears throat> I... Uh, I had one of the guys that was in my class, and, and I, I was pretty strict about my view of the rules and the regulations and what we do and what we don't do, and I think I was fair about it at the same time. And he was, I would say, he was a little bit more loose, but at the same time, I think he was a little bit more free. And there was something about me that bothered him, and there was something about him that bothered me. And there was this clash, this unsaid, unspoken clash between the two of us. God be praised for some of those people in our life. And you know, as the years, we had three years as a student and one year as an intern. And we went from that to my third year, just fast forwarding into this story. And I remember something had changed. And I couldn't tell you to this day if it was him, if it was me, or if it was both of us. But I re remember praying for him and praying with him. And there was something about that moment that just, it wasn't just the moment itself. It was like there was something working up to that point. But that one was when it kind of clicked. And I realized the light had turned on and I felt differently about, about, that, about him. And I felt like he did with me. Then we moved into our internship. And this was, the, this was the unique part of the whole story was we were now trying to figure out who was going to be rooming with who and who was going to get what room. And he said, and I felt just as much as he did. He said, I want to room with you. Something had changed. And then when we worked together, we saw how much more alike in mentality we were in the way that we worked. And I had, I had cooled down, not in being faithful, but I had cooled down in being astringent. And he had warmed up to being a little bit more focused, I think. And we had some of the best times, laughter, enjoyable friendship that occurred as a result of that. 
But what I'm saying here is that perception can be changed by God. And it's a beautiful thing. And if we let the perception stay as it is without letting the Lord get in on that, we're going to close our hearts to the will of God. In uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, it says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Prejudice. <clears throat> I shared that. And Jesus gave us this, this thought is Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. But with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So when it comes to prejudice, when it comes to the way we feel about a person, or even a thing or situation in our life, we have prejudices toward the way you play music in church. We have prejudices about where a person should sit when they come to church. Their preferences, their prejudices, we believe the kinds of songs that we should sing, the way we should dress, we have all kinds of different, because part of it was our upbringing, and part of it was our lifestyle. And some of it is important, and some of it is not that important. And some of it was for that time, and some of it is for this time. But whatever it is, whatever your prejudice is, remember, whatever that judgment is, make sure that you put it back on God, because it's going to be measured back to you again. And our right to judge, listen to this, is often hindered by our ability to do it rightly. So we're stuck on, I have the right to be able to make my own judgments. And you do. But it can be very much hindered by your ability to do it the right way. Most of the time, what information are you missing? What information do you got and what are you missing? And what are you making your judgments off of? And most of us are making judgments off of the, the finiteness of what we know. And that's so little compared to the best of what we should know. So always leave room for God to improve the judgment area of your life by making sure that you got clear understanding in it. Sometimes quarrel begins because we assume something and we don't go make sure to find out where the facts lie. What's really going on? I would rather, brothers and sisters, I would say this. I would say if there's something bothering you about me in particular, I would. it helps me. Make the corrections necessary. This is You'll find this very easily. A person at heart who wants to do what God wants them to do will listen to you. And they will listen to what your criticisms are with the intent to change wherein it's true. And you know, it's a hard thing sometimes to make that division of, is what you're saying true or is it just your visual or your view of things? But still, I'll take it to heart because it's important, despite... Permission <clears throat> permission is the next one. It's mine to give and no one else's to take, reserved only at my discretion. Permission is powerful because this permission says, I allow certain people in my space and I don't allow other people into my space. Who are the people you let into your space? Jesus said this. He says, don't love those who love you back. He said, love those who treat you like an enemy. So how do we invite somebody into our space? I want to say something about this. One is we're going to have to change the way we look at things. The other one is simply this. There is no formula. 
There's no formula of getting a relationship with somebody who's an enemy, who treats you despitefully and persecutes you. There is no formula. It's the relationship you have with God that enables you to go forward and be faithful to love them despite the way that they are towards you. This is the point where our greatest need is met of, Lord, I can't do this without you. And all of our life, we should have this attitude of it's God working in us, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. And I want to pursue this because this is the thing. When I think of the gospel, I don't think of just Jesus just saved me. Jesus didn't just save me. He didn't just bring me up out of darkness and deliver me. That same gospel is there for the person who is as blind as I was before my salvation. And I didn't get saved because I got it figured out. I got saved because God found a way in His mercy to illuminate the path to help me know where to go so that I wouldn't miss the mark. And God's mercy came down and shadowed over me so that I could see the way in all of my blindness. And that's the mystery to me. The mystery is how can I have been a man that was so blind, so far from knowing the saving grace of God, how could I have been that man? And my perceptions were over here. My interest toward God were so far from the reality of His cross. And somehow, He got into that space. And believe me, there were many times afterwards recognized that salvation that was in Jesus that I realized He was there and I didn't respond. He was also there at this time And I didn't respond. What changed this situation for me? What brought me there? And still there's that mystery, but that gratitude that comes along with it. So here's the ones. I'll just repeat them one more time. Those things that close our heart is pride, perception, preference, prejudice, and permission. The permission we give for God to have his place in our life. To me, that was what this week was all about for me. This is my testimony for the week, but it was me being able to take time with God and and the permission for God to come in in this moment. My heart cry was, Lord, I want you to take me to that place. Jesus, I want you to take me to the place where there's only one thing I desire. And you know what? He started to do that. It's like, Lord, there, it doesn't matter what else is going on in life right now. And I found, you know what's unique and interesting about this? You guys will smile about this. It'll make you laugh. But it seemed like maybe even before that time of prayer, but I know afterwards, nothing could have been felt more complicated. And there was so much going on and busyness hit me. And I had to take a back, <clears throat> a step back and think about one thing. I had to think about, and it took me a while to get there, so it was like a whole day before I realized God had been wanting to calm my spirit through the whole day, but I got so focused on the things that were going on around me that I didn't let the Lord in in those moments. And then when I realized that, I realized that God had always wanted me to embrace Him one more time and again to refresh me in one more thing, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after to behold the beauty of the Lord in the fast pace of life and the difficulties and things going on. To behold the beauty of God. And all I can say in this, if I could say anything through this sermon, if I just stopped here, I would say this is the point of reference. 
Because as you behold the beauty of God, it's a whole new context. For whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever life's complications and joys are, believe me, whatever your joy is in the moment, when God redefines it through His presence, it's a new joy that wells up in your heart. There's a new song that comes up. There's a moment I'm singing a song that I've always loved, but there's a fresh love for God in the midst of that song that I'm feeling and I can't get over how precious and near and dear He is to my heart. The overflow of that love touches the way that you feel about the people of your life in that moment. And God's tender mercies and His promises and His Word stand out so fresh and real to you in the moment. See, God is here in in our church. And He's here, right here with us. Not just so that we can capture the message, but so we can romance His presence as it's already in our time with Him. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you for what you're doing. I'm just going to interrupt this for a moment. Lord, I am so grateful for your presence that Jesus, as I know, that it's the touch of God upon every ministry and every heart and life. And so, Jesus, I pray that you'll continue to lead us on in your presence. But Lord, that we won't think that we can do this without you, that we don't think in any way that we can manage life without the presence of God moving us forward. Jesus, I thank you. Moses had said, unless you go with me, I will not go. And God, I want to make that same declaration today over this church. I want to make that declaration over my brothers and sisters in this place and over my life that we will not go unless, Lord, you go before us. We don't have a way of doing this without you, Jesus. We don't have a way to make it work except that you're working in front of us and behind us and all around us. And the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and we're going to run into it and be safe. Lord, thank you for the safety and the provision that comes from you. And Lord, thank you for calming, Lord, the pride of our own hearts and things, God, that we perceive in a certain way so that we can see this your way. In Jesus' name. So here's some things that keep our hearts open. In Acts chapter 8, verse 31, we read this. That Philip had asked, I mean, the eunuch had asked Philip to come and sit with him. He asked him to come sit with him. This represents humility. This wasn't, I got it figured out, I can do this on my own. He says, I I want you to come sit with me. Humility is, I am aware that deception looks like truth. It looks like truth, and I am disposed to correction lest I become a captive to deception. See, this is the difference here, is that I'm disposed to correction so that I don't become a captive to deception. That's what I would call humility. I want correction. I'm willing to have a a change. I don't give a care how much I believe in it. I'm ready for this. And there's always a disposition and an attitude before the Lord. God, please correct me. God, I am inviting your chastisement in my life so that I don't fall into the wrong direction. In James chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. See, I want to encourage you this morning to lift, lift up to God your hearts and, and humble yourself before Him. See, wherever you are, there's always a point God can correct you. That's the beauty of it all, is that we haven't had this climax. So maybe we can ask the Lord, God, in humility, I ask you to, to correct me in this moment. 
I may not know where I need it, but I'm just asking you to show me that at the same. But Father, I'm not willing to step one more moment with, with, and, and think that I've already got it figured out. Thank you for your correction, because correction does something inside of us. Think it not strange, my brethren, concerning the fiery trial that shall try you, as though something strange thing happened to you. And God said in His Word through James, He said for us um, to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations, knowing the trying of our faith works patience. And let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Is that us? I mean, I believe so. I think so. That's me today. God, will you work this maturity in my life? And there's going to be some, some of the dealings of the Lord that look and feel difficult. But when you come out of this, you're going to be a beautiful specimen of the grace of God. More beautiful than you are right now. More glorious in how remarkable God has done His work in your life. Understanding. So here's the second one, how we keep our hearts open to God and through understanding. The selfishness of only being willing to see things our way will keep us from seeing something in our blind spot. I have had a remarkable opportunity right now in life to teach my son how to drive. And you know what that means. That means that you've got to look back, you've got to look forward, and you've got to look everywhere and all around you. But you've got to remember that one of the most crucial areas when you're doing this is knowing your blind spot. And there's that spot. You know what I'm talking about. You've been driving for a while. you got the mirror and you got that, that part in the back. And somewhere between the mirror and that part in the back, you can see the car almost all the way until there's a certain spot. And unless you turn your head. Hmm? Unless you turn and you look, even the mirror won't be enough to guide you during that so God's calling us to turn and look. And that's understanding. That's an understanding. And, and I'm going to get to the good part here. I'm going to get to the good part for you. In Acts chapter 8, verse 31, he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? So this is the eunuch speaking to Philip. How can I understand except somebody guide me? So God knew that this was the point when he needed the evangelist, to show up. Understanding helps us keep from being blinded by our perception. Understanding helps us keep from being blinded by our perception. So now that we're still talking about vehicles and driving and all of that, perception is the vehicle. Understanding is the steering. Understanding is the steering. And the Word of God revealed and inspired by the Holy Spirit to our spirit, is our GPS. I had to ask a brother earlier what that was. And he says it's God's positioning system. Understanding is steering us in the right direction. So when we say understanding, what we're saying is this, is that the GPS or the way that steers us in the direction of our understanding is that the Holy Spirit is revealing the Word of God. Now I'm getting to the good part. I'm getting to the part that I've been really wanting to get to this whole time, and that's the illumination. The illumination. So this is where we need God in our life. And you see the Holy Spirit 
beginning to position the eunuch here. And the reason why the eunuch is getting positioned here is because there's an open heart. See, God is chasing the open heart. God uses all of His resources, the resource of an angel, to make sure that when there's an open heart, that He's going to meet the the craving of the open heart. We don't have to wonder if God's going to stand on the sidelines when our hearts are really open and and drawn to Him with, with everything within us. And so here this eunuch is with the open heart, and God is making a way, and Philip is coming in. And I notice this, the next place where the Holy Spirit moves is when there's the revelation that something's taking place. So we see here in verse 31, no, no, in verse 30 he says, And Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you read? So he's reading and the Holy Spirit is telling him, Go, join yourself to this chariot. The first one was just go find yourself on the road where you're going to meet the man in the chariot. The next point is the Holy Spirit saying, now move, move in this direction, but he's moving when the man's reading. When he's reading. I wonder if that is something God has for us. When you're reading, God is moving. If you take that heart, if you take that home with you today, this is going to change your week. This is going to change your month and your life. He's reading, but God is not intent to end it upon just reading. We stop there. And I was admonished this week by a man that I sat in the restaurant with, and he admonished me about reading the Word of God. And I remember, and what I realized is both of us were doing something for one another, and I was admonishing him in prayer, and he was admonishing me toward reading the Word of God. And it was awesome, and he said, we'll just be this as a blessing for one another. Because prayer for me is this. It's me saying, God, here I am. Here I am. I, don't, I, I have the knowledge of your word, but I need the illumination from the Holy Spirit so that I know the will of God according to the word of God. I need to go beyond knowledge, and I need you to reveal to me what I need to understand in this. So I'm not done with just reading, and God didn't stop with just letting him read. And so he says, do you understand what you read? And now there has to be an open heart to understand. And he says, I want to have understanding. And so in Acts chapter 8, verse 37, Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. How did he get to this place? How did he come to that realization? Because the Holy Spirit had given him illumination. And the best way that I can describe that, the best way I can describe that is, there are truths that you cannot know and that they're your heart is completely sealed up to until the Holy Spirit makes it known. And when the Holy Spirit makes it known, it's as real to you as the ground you walk on and the air you breathe. And you know it to be so. And somebody says, how do you know that the Bible is real? How do you know God is real? How do you know that you're going to go to heaven? How do you know you're saved? And I tell you, I don't know other than that God somehow opened up that truth to my understanding. And it's as real to me as anything I know. And I think that's the reason why Jesus could say to Peter, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So if I could urge Christians at anything, I would say this, find a place on your knees before God and get a place and invite the Lord to illuminate your path. Invite the Lord to get in on this. Don't just 
read the Bible. Don't just read it, but God, reveal it to me. Make it real to me. And to me, this was the highlight of my salvation. Because I remember a man telling me, he was a Christian godly man, and he said, you need to pray that the Lord will show you. You need to pray to the Lord. And I did, and I prayed, and I read, and I prayed, and I read. But one day, I remember, I remember that one day, and I was reading, and I understood it. Wow, this is not just my mind or my imagination. This was the revelation of God to my heart, and it changed me from that day forward. Regeneration doesn't take place without illumination. We're not changed radically by God and saved by His grace without God illuminating the sinner that you are, illuminating the reality of how you have, how you have stepped in and broken the commands of God and how the enormity of those crimes against the, uh, the Almighty and who He is. And then you see it as like, I felt bad about my sins, but now I see how it's been aimed against God. And I presented myself as an enemy to Him. And your, your sins become grossly enormous and black to your heart. And God does that as a first work of grace to draw you to the throne room of God. He does that as a first work of grace. If I didn't see the blackness of my sin in the hole of my wretched sinfulness, I would never see the Savior for who He is. And you know you need the Holy Spirit for that. You know you need the Holy Spirit to show you're not just angry. You're not just frustrated. You're not just cuss and swear here and there. You're not just somebody who judges badly about others. You're blackened all over. And you can hardly describe it when God reveals it, but it's so real to you. And then behind the scenes, He begins to present the cross. And it's not an imaginary thing. It's a very real thing. It's so real to you in the blood and the reality of what Jesus did for you. And it begins to break your heart and stir inside of you until you recognize that the only way out of this dark hole that you've been living in is through the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, He's the only way that you can get through this. And Jesus is making Himself real. Well, now that you've become a Christian, do you think He quit that? Do you think He stopped that path? Not in your life. And the beauty of it is this. says sometimes... I'll walk through the door in the house. I'll go down the street after I've walked, I've left this place in prayer. And I just feel like I'm walking in another world. This is a different dimension to me because there's an illumination happening at the same time. And I'm walking away and something's on my mind, something's on my thoughts. There's a scripture on my mind, but it's overtaking me and overwhelming me at the same time. And I'm, I'm walking home and just feeling like I want to cry and laugh at the same time. And I can hardly express the emotion and the feeling in the moment. But I'm so overtaken. And any moment I could stop and drop to my knees. And I come home and my wife comes to share. It's just, you know, life happening. And she starts to share that with me. And I look at her. And she, I'm almost sure she knows the look now. But there's this look of, I'm in, a, in an awe. I'm in an absolute awe. And I said, honey, I'm not in that context right now. I'm just not there. God is all over inside of me so that I'll sit at a table and there's a, a worship song and my heart is just wooing over that song and I'm overwhelmed with it. And so that what I'm realizing is that's the draw back into His presence and that's the draw back to God. And all I can say is this, is that I remember I was just, what was it, a week ago I was praying for uh, a, another man that I sat in, in prayer with and I wasn't praying for his situation anymore. Because God had given me an opportunity to feel a sense of what He was feeling. 
There was something in the spirit of this whole thing that I was overwhelmed by the darkness and the captivity of things that were going on in that, young, that man's life. And I felt as if it were the heart of God. And as Jesus said, here's an opportunity for me to show you what you cannot know on your own, but so that you can pray effectively, you can pray fervently. And there I am in tears, broken down for something I'm feeling that only God can give in the moment. And that's how I highlight intercession. I highlight the tears that flow from the heart because it's the heart language behind only what God can illuminate behind the scenes in your heart. And when you begin to get the feel for God's crushing heart over somebody who's not seeing it from his point of view, God wants to help you pray them through. Wants to help you pray them through. The illumination comes strictly from the Holy Spirit giving us understanding and revelation of the truth of God's word. Illumination is to our intellect and understanding what light is to our eye. Just as the eye needs light for seeing, we need illumination to understand God's word. How does this apply to me? See, this is the thing for me is, is that I may know, I may be able to say as I worship the Lord, Lord, I need you. Jesus, I need you more than anything in my life. God, I know that there's hidden areas of my life that I don't know and I don't realize in the moment that you know. And the only way that's going to come out to me is that if you would let me in your presence one more time, if you'd let me be where your glory is, if you just let me in and then in that moment, God, I don't understand. All I can say is this, I understand one thing. I know that when I'm in the presence of God, there's a whole new realm of truth that comes out in that moment. And I can feel what God is trying to say to me. It's very, very real to me in that moment. And I can't tell you that I can give you a learned message. I can't tell you what it is to try and preach and say what it is that I knew in my heart. But I know it is real it's as if you were having a dream. And you know what it means when you have a dream? And in that dream, you know things and you say, I don't know how I know it. I know the age of that man. I know, uh, I know if they're married. I know if they're not married without knowing anything other than the fact that I saw them in my dream. How is it that I know things? without having been told or taught. That's illumination. And if we don't get illumination, we won't see salvation. We won't see Christians grow in the grace of God. We won't see what God wants to do when we talk about revival because we miss that part of it. Some things that are so difficult for us to overcome until God illuminates the path for us. You know, there's things in our life where, Lord, I just don't know how to get over this. I have feelings that get stirred when this situation arises. And I have tried all I can to overcome and conquer that. And then you spend time in the presence of God. And that presence illuminates. It always does. God always shows something. It's like having a flashlight in a dark room. It's like trying to read this book while there's no lights here. I need light to be able to see and read what it says. I need light to understand for my heart and my spirit to be overwhelmed with the realities that only you know, God. And so I've sat in those moments where I prayed. I can say I prayed with all my heart. And I remember going into a room closed and feeling the Lord touching my spirit for somebody. And I remember the vividness of the impressions, impressions that God gave me over that person. And I was overwhelmed to tears in the place that I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe because I could feel what God felt in his heart. And I can only say that's illumination. God's showing you what you cannot know, except that he illuminates and makes it real to you. And I live for the next moment. God does that. 
I live for the next moment before I ever get up here or anything else. Oh my God, would you just let me one more moment see it from your angle. Let me see it the way you see it. My heart is yearning one more time to breathe out a prayer for my wife as she's gone to this women's retreat. My heart, Lord, one more time wants to capture something out of your word that's going to remind me of the beauty and the wonder of marriage. And for me, this, this week was that God highlighted for me the one flesh. It just hit me, one flesh. And I stopped right there. I knew God was speaking something to me. And it was like, it's like the Holy Spirit said, stop, stop. I'm about to show you something. I'm about to show you something. And when I did, as I was praying, I felt this thought of argument feeds divorce. Argument has the intent of divorce. Argument has the intent of separation. And what hit me was this, God, there's things deep within me at times that it's not intentional. What happens in marriage and we call it our We call it marriage and we call it the difference between man and woman. But now that I'm beginning to see that when you're calling me to one flesh, you're calling me to be adjoined in unity and oneness with my wife in a way that's beginning to highlight everything inside of me that doesn't look like that. See, this isn't just me getting married. This isn't me consummating the marriage. This is everything in the way that I communicate and the way that I pray for her and the way that I think of her and the way I want to see God at work in her life. And the way that I see all of that, it is becoming so real to me that it's overthrowing me. And now it's weeks and days of thinking of that one thing that God had dispersed in my spirit. And it's overwhelming me. And I realize it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. The difference between man and woman. Because I realize that God made us uniquely different with the design to put us together and make us one. And make us so one and we can be of one heart and one mind. And then I, it hit me. Jesus said this. He said, Jesus said this to the Father as he prayed. He said that they may be one as we are one. Are we sowing into the oneness of our marriage? Or are we complaining about the difficulties that we face because of our differences? Not because of our arguments. Not because we did anything to insult one another. Just because we know there's differences. And we know it's hard to melt those together. And then God is springing forth the beauty and the wonder and the enormity of the truth of what it means to be one. That before we know it, it looks completely different to us. Now, I know, I got preachy on that one. This, this hit me though. As I, I told her, as I was making coffee in the morning and doing some other things, this hit me. It was like, honey, I made myself coffee. And actually it was for her. But what it hit me was everything that I do for her is meant to come back to me. See, oneness isn't what you get for yourself. It's what you give to another. And what I watched is God. And as I, I said to her as she was getting ready to leave, I said, sweetheart, if you feel out between 6 and 8 o'clock in the morning, you feel the glory of God touch you, you'll know why. And I said, I know that somewhere in the middle of the day while I'm doing whatever I'm doing, that if I feel the glory of God touch me, I'll know why. Because I believe this. I believe that as we walk with God individually, that we sense God doing something in one another's life. And see, that truth wouldn't have been the same. If you had given me a Sunday school class that taught me about being one flesh, it would have never done that for me. But when I stand in the presence of God, and I've listened to the Lord in His Spirit, urging something deep within my heart, I capture it. I capture something far greater and bigger than all of that. And it magnifies the beauty of who Jesus is. It makes Him so much larger than life. 
And it elevates my praise and worship Him to a whole new level. So it's easy to pray with illumination. It's easy to let God in on the things of life. It's easy to let go of offenses. It's easy to let go of differences when God gets in the picture. I'm I'm not going to go any further with this at the moment. Lastly, you see his conversion, and I think that's so important to remember. Conversion is the state in which the heart has changed, and we finally surrendered to God, and then our life molds with the direction of our heart. Our life immediately molds with it, and that can be immediate right now. As we're preparing to take communion, I want you to remember these things that I've shared with you. And I want to pray that the Lord will do just as well for you. And I believe He has. As I share this with you, I'm not meaning to yell. I don't mean it that way in any way. I get excited because I'm overwhelmed at how real this is for me. And I sense that that means just as much to you, and I hope it does. That it's not me trying to yell at anybody. It's me just being involved in the moment of what God has done. It's exciting, and it's overwhelming, and it's real. And I, I want that for you just as well as it has been for me. So as we prepare to take communion, I want to remember we'll have, for those of you who don't know, I want you to know that the on one side you'll see the difference between the, um, the bread and the uh, gluten-free. If anybody needs gluten-free, it's here for you. Um, or if you prefer the wafer style, that's all right too. Um, and we're going to have the worship team come up as we prepare to take communion. And... I want you to consider what Jesus has done. And would you pray like I would? Lord, show this to me fresh. Show this to me fresh in my heart. Renew in me what it was like the first time I came to you. The tears that were cried at the altar, the the newness of life that came inside of me as a result of that. Renew inside of me the beauty and the wonder of your death and resurrection. Let me read this real quick as we prepare to take communion. And then as as you will, I want you to come up as the Lord ministers to you to do so. This is in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 32. For I have received of the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For in the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are sick and weak among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Just a few points I want you to consider while you're taking communion this morning. That this is to be kept fresh in our mind. It says in remembrance, because it is real in our hearts. We want to keep it fresh in our mind because it's real in our hearts.
Also, you, do, you want to do it often so as to never let the importance and the reality of it fade in your mind. Do it often so you never let it fade in your mind. And do it in a worthy manner so that its real meaning and purpose is never corrupted. Do it in a worthy manner so that its real meaning and purpose is never corrupted. Cherish this moment. Brothers and sisters, please cherish this moment. This moment of the incorruptible body of Jesus given to you. Don't let that fade away. And is intended to provoke you to an honest search of heart. So as you do this, do an honest search of heart. And I, it says, search your heart and examine so that you may. It's not so that you won't, it's so that you may. Sometimes we feel guilty. There's a time of confession and repentance to the Lord so that we may do this. And I want you to consider doing that right now. So this altar is open during this time. It's always an open time so that you can spend time before the Lord before you partake. If there's something that you need to make sure that it's right before the Lord, and that you can have that rest in your spirit. Amen. Just turn the computer soundboard thing off. <laughs> Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer.